0: our cornerstone, our solid rock, the place where which we can always stand and know there's a firm ground. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. How's everyone? Good, I think. All right. Well... I don't know if you're good, because I didn't get much of a response there, but you look good, at least, so you're faking it, right? (laughs) Well, good morning. Uh, We are so glad that you are here. Welcome uh, to the Ridge. We also want to say welcome to our Gerald campus. We're glad that you're with us as well. Uh, We're excited to open up the Word today, so if you have your Bibles, open it up to James, James chapter 2. James chapter two, this summer we are doing a a series uh, through the book of James called A Faith That Works. We're looking at a godly faith that lives out every day in our everyday life. And so it's, it's been fun. Uh, this is my first time uh, to get to share from this. We are uh, alternating uh, between uh, Pastor Roger and Brett and Bob and I. Uh, and so it's, it's fun. We get a little difference of different techniques and different styles of preaching. With Pastor Roger, we're going to come and he's going to break the word down for us. And we're just going to know so much about the word. And Brett's got these great stories that really connect with us. And then Bob will get up here and talk so fast, we're going to be like, what just happened? He's in the room, so I can do that. Um, and then I'll, I'll get up here and people will be like, I don't even know what that was about, but uh, we'll do our best this morning, all right? And so we're in James chapter two. Uh, we're gonna be looking at verses 14 through 26. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're gonna be looking at a faith that acts. Uh, James, in, J- in James chapter two, verse 14, really breaks down. Really, uh, this is the central core of, uh, of the book of James. Uh, in fact, when I saw that I had this one, I was like, oh my goodness, this, this one's tough. There, there, there's some people who struggle with James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. In fact, Martin Luther, the great reformer, looked at this, uh, like this passage of scripture and he was ready to throw James out of the Bible. Uh, just because he thought he saw contradictions here. Uh, but this morning we're going to look and see that there's not contradiction uh, between James and the Apostle Paul. Uh, really what James is doing is echoing much of what Jesus has said. Remember, James uh, is the brother of Jesus, and I think he heard a lot. Maybe he didn't believe. James is the guy who went from looking at his, little brother, his older brother and going, you're not God. I, I, you're just my brother. You're my big bro, but you're, you know, you're not God. And he went, so he went, James went from a doubter uh, to a believer to eventually a martyr uh, for his faith. And so James chapter 2, we come to this heart of the issue for him uh, that he's dealing with, with this Jewish uh, church, this young Jewish local church, that godly faith, this godly faith is a faith that's a living faith. It's a, a saving faith. And he proposes this question in verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works, hmm, can such faith save him? So James is really putting to test this idea that you can just have faith and it not show anything, and he says, here's the question, can that type of faith save a person and so before we break it down before you're like whoa wait a second don't be heretical here we're not going to make this about works earning us to salvation but let's really ask ourselves what is godly faith that's what we're talking about is godly faith well it's really easy to answer it by what it's not first Uh, it's not intellectual assent godly faith is not just head knowledge look at verse 19 he says you believe that god is one Good, even the demons believe. Hmm. You see, the demons have some. For 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 some people, demons have better theology than some people who step in the church. Right? They have they have a lot of knowledge. They know that God is one. They know that Jesus is God. Right? This passage of scripture, when when James was originally writing this. The original audience, this Jewish congregation, they would have immediately known God is one. Yeah, that's Deuteronomy 6.4. That's the Shema. It says, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Shema is something that every Jew would say out loud every day. But James is saying, hey, listen, godly faith is not just knowing the right things about God. Godly faith is not just knowing about Jesus. It's also not just a simple emotional response, is it? Emotions aren't a bad thing, and it should cause, our faith should cause some emotional response. I, I've gotten emotional because of some things in worship or because of some things in my life. There's an emotional response, but what James is saying is hey, it's not knowledge, it's not emotion either. He says, you believe that God is one good, even the demons believe, and they shudder. They even have an emotional response, even the correct emotional response, don't they? They shudder at God. And James is like, that's not what we're talking about. That's not a faith that will save you. See, godly faith is a belief in our heart that is made evident through the willful obedience of our lives. And so that's our definition of godly faith for this passage of scripture. we struggle a little bit with this whole concept of works because works have a negative connotation in much of Paul's writings. And in James, works are always positive, good works. And so what's going on here? Well, one way that we can see this is, let me give you an example. In a couple weeks, uh, we'll be taking a team to El Salvador. And while we're in El Salvador, I know it's going to happen. Some of the El Salvadorian students are going to come to us and say, hey, let's go outside and play football right? We'll go play football, okay? So we'll run out there. What if I put on some pads and some cleats and a helmet, grabbed a little oblong pigskin ball and said, all right, let's play football. They would all just look at me and be like, no man, that's not football, right? They'd get a what we would call round soccer ball and start kicking it around their feet and be like, you Americans are so silly. You don't even play that game with your foot. This is actually football, right? And they'll kick it around with their feet. Now what's going on there? Same word, right? Football, but totally different meanings for us. And that's what's going on with James and Paul throughout Scripture, is that what James is talking about with works is not the same that uh, what Paul is saying about works is not the same what James is saying about good works. Paul is going against works of the law, and James is encouraging good works of obedience. You see, they both were fighting to a lie in the church. And both of these lies are rampant today. Paul was fighting the lie that we earn our salvation. Oh, I've met so many people that feel like they've got to do something to get right with God. They've got to they be better. They've got to get right before they can come to God. And it's, oh, that's such a lie from the devil. You'll never be good enough. But on the other hand, James is dealing with the lie that, of fighting an easy believism. Oh, well, you just gotta believe the right thing or feel the right thing, you know, and then you're, you're good. You don't have to ever do anything else again. That's, that's a lie from the devil as well because that's not real faith. A real faith that doesn't ca- require something from us, a real faith that doesn't bring something out of us, it's not genuine, godly faith. Let me illustrate it this way for both of them. Um, in front of my house, I have this big rose bush I've worked really hard to get it really big and beautiful, but let's say that eventually it's going to stop raining, I think, right? Like eventually it's going to stop raining and summer will hit and it will hit 100 degrees. I hope not, but it's it's probably coming, right? And let's say that that happens and I forget to water that bush and it just dies. And then you call me and say, hey, I'm coming over to your house. And I'm like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. I have this dead bush in front of my house. So I'm like, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll go really quickly to the forest. I'll buy four, and I buy four dozen rose, roses. And I snip the rose petals off of all those, those beautiful flowers, off of those flowers. And then I take a stapler and I staple them onto my rose bush, right? And it looks good, right? And it might, if you don't pay attention, it might pass. And you would be like, wow, that's a beautiful rose bush. But what's going to happen the next day? it's gonna look dead because it's dead. That's what many people do with good works or with works of the law. I'll go to church, staple. I'll do this, staple. I'll, I'll, I'll look the part, I staple. Constantly trying to do something to make myself look better, make myself look good before God. But because the root is dead, the flower never lasts. The other day, I had this really nice, big, beautiful red apple. Now I know more than likely there's pro- this is big, beautiful, right? It's probably painted, right, with wax or something to make it look this pretty. Uh, but I saw this big, beautiful apple and I took a big old bite right out of the middle of it and went, "Oh!" and pulled it right out of my mouth and threw it in the trash can. And I looked in there and there was this hole all the way in there. I'm like, oh, yucky. And then all of a sudden this little thing came and it wiggled its head out there at me, right? That's what, that's what trying to earn our salvation looks like. Beautiful on the outside. Yucky on the inside. But the other part of it is, this is, a, this is an apple seed. I don't know if you can see that, but that's an apple seed. Now, if I plant that in the ground and I water it, I cultivate it eventually I'll have a tree that will produce oranges plums grapes kiwis no apples right it'll produce apples it'll produce the fruit of its kind that's what faith is it's planted in the heart of the soil and it produces real fruit of obedience that's what James is telling us there must be real fruit it, good works is the fruit of real faith, this godly faith. That's what Jesus was communicating in the four soils. He describes four different types of soils. He says there's some seed that's passed along on the, on the path, and it's just hard, and the seed never gets in the ground because the ground's never cultivated, and nothing ever happens. And that happens all over. We share the gospel all over the place, and because the heart hasn't been cultivated and response, we don't see any response, Right? They reject the, the gospel. They reject the word. But then there was a second soil. It was it was the rocky soil. There was some good dirt, but there was a lot of rocks in there, right? It's like Bullard County dirt where I grew up, where we grew rocks. That's what we grew, right? And you would put the soil in there, and it would it would start a little bit. It had an, I, I look at that soil, and I'm like, that's the soil of an emotional response. Like it, it grows up really fast. Jesus said. Uh, but because it's rocky and it never has a root, when the, when the troubles of life comes, it has another emotional response that says, I don't want this. This isn't real. I reject this and it dies. Well, that's the, that's the heart that never really it had the gospel planted in it. It was just an emotional response. And an emotional response is good, but an emotional response isn't enough. Because then when the next thing comes around and you have an emotional response, you respond the other way. Then there was a third soil. It was a soil that was, there was some thorns in there and the seed fell in it and it grew up but when it started to grow like those thorns choked it out, right? Well, we see that happen all the time as well. We see a little bit of response but then the the, the cares of this life, the cares of this world call and they choose the world over Jesus and the gospel because there was never any root but then there was the good soil and the soil the seed went in and it grew a root and grew a tree and then fruit appeared and jesus said that fruit produced some 30 some 60 some 100 and the beauty of that story is this that the, the point of the story is that the seed will produce fruit. There should be fruit from our faith. But the beauty is, let's not compare ourselves to others. Like that's not, We're not called to compare ourselves to others. I might look at you and be like, that's a, you have 100 fruit. You have 60 fruit, I only have 30. That's not what Jesus is saying there. He's saying, just evaluate your own fruit. Everyone's fruit is different, but there's got to be fruit. That's what godly faith is. Godly faith is is faith that produces fruit see without it there's no proof of the inside reality and a tree that never produces what happens to it you're going to think i'm weird because i'm going to talk about another rose bush but i had a rose bush in the back of my yard several years ago Uh, it was a special rose bush it was a yellow rose bush because yellow was my dad's favorite color we had a yellow rose bush growing up it makes me think of my dad and it was an even more special rose bush because I found this bush, that's hard to say, you keep saying that bush bush really fast. Um, this rose bush that was a hybrid that was a tree rose bush. So it wasn't a bush on the ground. It would go up into a long stick, and then the, the rose would appear. It was really cool. I really liked it. Planted it. It grew during the summer. It was really beautiful. And then in the spring of the next year, I, I I pruned it like you're supposed like I thought you were supposed to all rose bushes. But what I learned is is that there's actually two rose bushes. It's a hybrid. They take a wild rose bush that is more sturdy and strong and graft it into the other one. And I got into the wild rose bush and when i did it set it off and like all of a sudden like within like days like it just started going crazy and it was just weedy and thorny and it was growing everywhere and no flower ever was produced so you know what happened at the end of that summer out of there i cut that thing down and i ripped its roots out because it wasn't what i wanted it wasn't producing fruit And Jesus will tell us that any tree that doesn't produce fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so James is telling us there's a big difference from a claimed faith, intellectual, emotional, knowledge, then a godly, saving faith, a f- claimed faith is a faith without fruit. It is a faith without works. A changed heart is a heart that produces fruit. Real change in our life from the gospel is going to cause us to change. We're going to look more like Jesus and less like the world around us because there's a change happening in our heart. Because a faith without works is useless. It's useless. That's what uh, James will tell us in verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have such faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? And then he uses this absurd story. I say it's absurd because no one would do this, right? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? Right, we we have this absurd image of this person that comes up to us, this person who is starving and has no ability to get food. They they don't even have clothes on their back, and the person looks at them and goes, "Hey, and just you know, peace be upon you. Stay warm, eat well, God bless you." Right? No one would do that. That's that's useless. Faith without works is useless. It also cannot save, can it? It cannot save, he says, can such faith save him? And he is already answering his question. It cannot. More than that, though, it's inefficient. It, it, it's just inefficient to do anything. We look at verse 20. It says, senseless person or foolish person. In the original language, it means empty person, right? Empty. It was, a, it, it was really rude to use this word in the, in the first century. And so James just outright does it. And everyone went, whoa, I can't believe he said that, right? He's like, you foolish person, you empty-minded person. But he's using a play on words. Not only are you empty-minded, you're empty-hearted. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? It's ineffective, has no power, because it's ultimately dead. Faith that has no fruit, that doesn't show any outward obedience, is a faith that never really was alive to begin with. It might know the right things, it might say the right things, it might look the right part, it might be really shiny but it's dead on the inside. Verse 17 says this. In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith and I will have works. <laughs> He's like, well, then show me your faith without works. And he, you can't, right? I will show you my faith by my works. You will see that it's real with me because you'll see the good in me. Verse 19, you believe, Right? And then he, he goes on to say, "I will show you my faith by my works." Like he, here's what he's saying. And this is what I've told students before. The, what you see in me that's bad, that's all me. That's the real me, isn't it? But the good that you see in me, that's all God working through me. That's, that's because he's live in me changing me. Good works does not produce godly faith. But godly faith does produce good works. See, works fueled by flesh don't please God. When we try to do good things, to try to get right with God, like, hey, I'll go to church, I'll read my Bible, I'll memorize scripture, I'll do this, I'll be a good person, and it'll get me right with God, or it'll make people look at me, look at me, my flesh. It doesn't please God. But good works... Brought on by godly faith of our heart, brings great glory to our Lord Jesus Christ, because it's it's all Him working through us. That's what Paul was saying in Galatians chapter five and verse six when he says, "For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision or uncircumcision accomplishes anything. And what he's saying is the works of the law they don't mean anything, but what matters is faith working in love." He's, Paul and James are on the same page here. They have both dismissed the works of the law, but what they're saying is, is what Jesus said. You'll know them by their fruit. And what was the fruit that Jesus was talking about? Loving people. That's, the, that's why James used that illustration of this person that would that says, hey, be warm, be good. Gives them a, give them a bunch of religious words, but doesn't help them? no. He says, love them, help the the marginalized, help the hurting, care for those who need to be cared for, love them like Jesus would love them. That's the fruit of genuine, godly faith. See, here's the thing about faith. This is my formula for faith. It's belief plus obedience. Faith isn't just knowledge. Faith isn't just a warm, fuzzy feeling in the heart. Faith is when you know something to be true, you believe it. And because you know it's true, you act on it. Only in the U.S., in the modern century, can we disconnect belief from obedience. I work with college students, and I work with young uh, high school students, and it's amazing how they can say, oh yeah, I believe that, and then do the complete opposite. But we're all, we We just do this in the first century. That wasn't the case in the first century. When you said you believed something, you acted upon it. It's kind of like this: Um, I can talk about this chair all that I want to. Like I, I can describe this chair. I can describe, man, it's nice and cushioned, and its upholstery's nice. And like, uh, look, it's. It's solid. Like, that solid metal right there. And I can even describe, like, I can see everyone in the back that's sitting on a a, a chair similar and be like, yeah, it works. It's real. Like, I can do that. And I can say, man, I'm even emotional about this chair. Look at this chair. Have you seen a chair like this? It's so beautiful. It brings a tear to my eye. What does that matter? Now, I put my faith in the chair. I acted upon it. That's what faith does. You could look at it this way. Let's say I came out and found you laying across the train tracks. And we heard, whoo, whoo. Uh, not that. I, don't, I can't even make a train noise. That was really pitiful. That sounded like a quail. <laughs> go get the bird dog. I'm not even going to try. Choo, choo. There we go. And I said, the train's coming. And you're like, yeah, I believe that. The train's coming. I believe, yeah, I know. (laughs) The train's coming. If you don't get up, you're going to get ran over. I know. The train's coming. You're going to get ran over. If you get ran over, you will die. I know. I believe it. I believe the train. I believe that if I got up, I would live. I believe all this. And you still laid there? We'd be like, what is wrong with you? Until you finally get up and act on what you believe, you haven't showed any real faith. See, we've disconnected faith from actual obedience and that's not scriptural. Faith actually obeys. Faith leads to obedience and obedience matures faith. The more I believe, the more I will obey, the more I obey, the greater my faith is. That's why baptism is so important for the new believer, because it helps them. That first act of obedience sets the tone for the rest of their life, that God will continue to talk to them and lead them, and they continually obey, and they hear the word, and that obedience leads to more truth from Jesus, and that Obe- that truth leads to moral obedience. That obedience leads to more truth, and that truth leads to more obedience. And it's the w- it's following Him. You see, what originally is the response to the gospel? It's faith, right? But what is faith? It's to believe. Belief in the original language was truth, right? mental truth. I believe this. It's a heart thing, right? I really believe it in my heart. Repentance is the head knowledge of going, I'm, I was going this way, but I'm going to turn and go obey and go a complete 180 of obedience, of daily following God, daily following him. That's what the original response of faith to the gospel is. Because we got to move from just knowledge or emotion to relationship of daily following God him that's the beauty of the gospel that's what he's calling us to he he ends this passage in verse 26 you we didn't get to talk about michael jordan we'll talk about michael jordan some other time but verse 26 it says for just as the body without the spirit is dead so also faith without works is dead salvation is by faith alone but saving faith will obey because it's a living faith it's a living faith a godly faith is a faith that is alive and this is all by the grace of god the holy holy spirit empowers our obedience and the holy spirit meets us at the point of obedience but we see that it's lived out because dead faith only leads to death a dead faith of knowledge emotion or all these different things will ultimately leave you dead So let me give you, in closing, three things that faith does. From the text, what do we see? That real godly faith that produces real fruit. What does that fruit look like? It acts. It acts. That's the whole illustration in verses 15 through 17, right? Like the person comes up to him and he does, what he's saying is do something. The greatest act that we can do is to love people. That's what he's calling us to do is acts of mercy and acts of love. The fruit of our life is love. Where we're learning to live and to love like Jesus. Where we're caring for the hurting. We're caring for the marginalized. We're caring for those who don't have. We're caring for those who are hurt. We're caring for those who don't know Jesus. We're loving them. Faith acts. But then James uses one of the greatest illustrations of all scripture about faith, the the great man of faith himself, Abraham. And he says this, and look at verse 21. He says, Wasn't Abraham, our father, justified by works and offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Faith sacrifices. Abraham took his one and only son, the son who he prayed for, the son who he believed in that God gave him, and he bound him, and he took him up that mountain, and he laid him down on that altar, and he was raising that knife, and he was going to kill his son. Why? Because he believed that God would raise him from the dead. Because he believed that everything about God was worth giving up everything that he loved. He believed in a God who was of greater value than anything of this life. See, faith leads us to sacrifice. James gives us one more illustration. In verse 25, he says, in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prophet, the prostitute, also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? He uses the illustration of Rahab, who is this wicked, ungodly woman. But when but she saw the spies. She believed in the one true God and she risked it all. Faith risks. You know that if the soldiers would have found those spies hiding in her home, they would have killed her. See, faith leads us to risk because faith, our faith leads us to a God who's greater than us who can take care of everything. A faith that can move mountains. A faith that can be there for us. A faith in a God and a Jesus who loves us, who sacrificed his life for us so that we can risk it all. This is one of my close friends from Africa. Her name is Ami. I met Ami probably 10 years ago. She's my, I call her my my African mother. She's from Senegal, West Africa. Um, I don't have time to tell you all of Ami's story. Ami came to Christ from a Muslim background through missionaries. When she followed Christ, the result of her following Jesus was she lost everything. She really did sacrifice everything because her husband kicked her out of her home and kicked her two daughters out of her home. One barely all, tall enough to walk, a little toddler. The other one still in her arms, just a little baby. And in, at, in her country, in Africa, women, they don't own anything. And so when she was kicked out, she was destitute. She had no home, no place to live, no food to eat. And so she immediately started just cleaning clothes for some people. She had to, she'd make just a little bit of money, She would feed her kids if there was anything left over then she would eat but she continued to do that she got back in contact with those missionaries they put her to work as an interpreter that's how i met her she would tell me stories of going into these villages and and just getting rocks thrown at vans and i've seen her stand right up to a muslim chief of a village and and just tell him that jesus was the only way and just her boldness and her faith um The last time i saw her she was telling me a story of something that just happened in her life she had a mission team come in go back into her home people group her home tribe and so they went back into this village and they did a day camp some different sports camps that allowed them to share the gospel and people came to christ but when the missionary team left, she felt the responsibility to disciple that, that group of young believers. So she was headed, she had gone in there one day. She was discipling them, teaching them the word. It had gotten late in the day. It was dark. And so she was walking her way home back to her town from that village. On that, on that road, there's, in Senegal, there's not a, a ton of Islamic terrorists, but some from Mali had come in. They were from Bahu Haran. Um, they found her on the road. They knew what she was doing. They jumped her and they beat her. They beat her so much she was, and left her for dead that someone found her and took her to the hospital and she was unconscious. I'm gonna show you a picture of what she looked like. I'm not gonna keep it on the screen long. If you don't wanna look at it, look away. This is what they did to her. This picture's better. She was beat up unconscious and they put her on an IV drip of some medicine um, not knowing that she was diabetic it put her in a diabetic coma she was in that coma for three months when she got out of the coma and got well enough to get out of the hospital you know what she did the first week she was out of the hospital yeah alone she went back to that village to check on those young believers because she felt responsible for them to care for them faith risks faith calls us we've sung the song right out of the shallow water into the deep water it calls us to act it calls us to sacrifice it causes us to risk i'm not saying that your faith has to cause you to go get beat up but what is it who in your life is god calling you to love because of your faith What is God calling you to sacrifice this morning for his name? How is he calling you today to risk for his great name? See, a living faith or a godly faith that is in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ is a faith that preserves through trials and will obey no matter the cost. What's God calling you to do, believer? What's he he saying to step out in faith and do to show the fruit of your faith now listen we don't do good things to prove that it's a natural overflow of the love of that we've experienced in our heart through the gospel it flows out of us and it causes us to love others to sacrifice greatly and to risk no matter the the cost but let me ask you the real question that James asked, where's the fruit of your faith? James is calling these people to evaluate their faith. And he says, if there's not good works, the fruit, your faith is probably dead. That looks like a lot, that doesn't look like perfection. None of us is Mother Teresa. <laughs> None of us is Jesus. But all of us who are believers should start to, should be looking more and more every day like him. And we'll fail, but we should be able to see fruit of genuine godly faith in our life. Would you stand and would you bow your heads? Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. He said, You'll recognize them by their fruit. And he said, hmm, he said, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. And not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the, the one who does the will of my father. Do you see it? Obedience is the fruit of real faith so this morning yeah i'm going to ask you to evaluate yourself i'm not asking you to evaluate the person next to you the person behind you or even me you just have to evaluate yourself and i'm not asking you to compare yourself don't compare your fruit to someone else's fruit don't play the comparison game that's what the devil But ask yourself, is there real genuine faith in you? You have really believed the truth of the gospel and it's led you to repent of your self-rule and the sin of your life and you're acting it out in obedience through following Jesus. If you have never done that, right there where you're at, you can do it this morning. Just cry out to our God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve hell, and I know that apart from you, I am nothing and can do nothing. Cry out to him and tell him that you repent of your sins because you believe that he's the Savior and your King, and you surrender your life to him. It's no longer yours. Tell him that I give my life to you, it's no longer mine. Tell him you choose to follow him because of his great love displayed on the cross and the power of his resurrection that empowers you to live. You just tell him that. And whatever words come to your heart, to your mind, right there this morning, you can do that. And that's genuine faith. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and empowers you to do good. This morning, if you have done that for the first time or you have questions about that in just a moment, I'm gonna step down and I'd love for you to come to this altar, come to this pew and come talk to me. Or if you're here this morning and you're a believer and God's calling you to act on your faith, he's calling you to sacrifice for him, to risk for his great glorious name, maybe you should come and lay that out on the altar this morning. As we sing, would you come? David, would you lead us in that song? And if God is working on your heart, you can come here. We can talk afterwards. Whatever God's calling you to do, would you obey Him this morning?